0: Welcome back to another week of the Rev MD podcast. This week, we're going to talk about out-of-network patients, and I just have a favor to ask. If you guys have been enjoying the podcast and listening, please go to Apple Podcast and leave us a review. This is the best way for us to be able to continue spreading the word regarding medical billing and coding tips, and helping physicians really have their practices thrive when it comes to revenue from insurances. So this week, we're going to talk about value-based care and capitation payments, which really have become more common and may even become even more common as we exit the pandemic. And so I just really want to make sure that folks really understand the basics around these models, the challenges that exist, and that way you can make an educated decision if these come across your desk. Now, if you're being asked to sign up under a capitation agreement, you at least have to understand the basic principles so that you can determine what makes sense for your practice and also your geographic area. Now, I'm not saying whether you should or shouldn't do them. I'm just trying to give you some basic terms and things to think about before you make a decision. And these are not something that you want to rush into. You really want to make sure you understand the business model, the payment structures, the quality metrics that you're going to be held to. Now, we've all seen a transition from a fee-for-service model to a value-based care model over the last 20 years. We've seen this even more in the facility and hospital setting with DRG payments and other bundled payment structures. So it's really important that as we continue that progression from a fee-for-service model to a value-based care model, that we are educated because at the end of the day, we're the physicians who should be in control of these decisions. Capitation models are models that pay healthcare providers a fixed amount for each patient they deliver care based on time. These patients come from the insurance or HMO and are calculated in advance. So the payments are calculated in advance, remain fixed for the duration of the contract regardless of the quantity of service delivered. And when I say based on time, I mean a calendar time, right? 12 months, 24 months, etc. So let's walk through an example. An insurance company enters into a one-year capitation contract with a healthcare provider to secure coverage for its members. Now, the healthcare provider would be paid a fixed amount to provide care services for all of the insurance members, say, I don't know, 3,000 patients. Now, if the annual capitation fee comes up to about $500 per patient, then the insurer would pay out $1.5 million to the healthcare provider to cover all treatment expenses for those 3,000 members. Now, that $1.5 million may not come all at once, and we'll talk about that. Now, generally, not each member is going to fully utilize this allocation, while others are going to exceed that amount. And in an ideal state, right, you have a practice that you have patients who have little utilization to balance out the patients who have a higher utilization. So capitation payments are developed based on this total number of patients, the expected average amount of healthcare utilization for each patient during that specific time frame, and that's going to vary based on the geographic area or the subspecialty that you're in. The predetermined fee is going to be calculated based on how much cost each member is expected to incur for care delivery over that, say, year time frame. Therefore, it's going to be up to the healthcare provider and the insurer to really predict the resources and utilization that will be used under this capitation model so that they can better manage spend. That's traditionally the idea. Now, often payers establish risk pools made up of a percentage of the capitation payment that is going to be withheld from the physicians until the end of the year. So say you do a capitation agreement starts in January, And they want to give you that $1.5 million, right, the 500 times the 3,000 patients, They'll they may hold a portion of that till the end of the year. So you don't get that full 1.5 up in the beginning. And this is really that shared savings or shared risk model incentive to provide you know to providers to really lower the cost by offering them these risk pool funds as a reward for reaching certain quality measures. So it's really important that if you get into these agreements that you really understand what are those quality measures and are you are you adhering to those are you documenting those so that you can make sure you get that risk pool fund at the end of the year. Now, on the other hand, if the provider does not meet the payer's value-based care measures, and so some of these can be things like patient outcomes, patient safety, efficient use of resources, care coordination, patient engagement, or adherence to certain clinical guidelines, then the payer could potentially withhold those funds at the end of the year. So important to understand the contract. As always, I know that the contracts are long. They're annoying. Having a team of people who are reading those and understanding Um, understanding what it takes to qualify for 100% of the funds is really important. Now we're going to talk about the three types of capitation models just in general. Number one, primary care capitation models, which is the reimbursement model that refers solely to primary care clinical services. When a primary care provider signs a capitation agreement, They are agreeing to provide a predetermined set of services. Now, the number and kinds of services is going to vary. Most capitation models for primary care services are going to include things like routine screenings for vision and hearing, preventative diagnostic and treatment services, in-office health education, counseling services, injections, immunizations, and medications administered in the office, and then sometimes outpatient lab tests that are conducted in the office, now, the second type of capitation model, a secondary care capitation model, is what happens when you form a relationship between the PCPs and other secondary providers? And so under this reimbursement model, secondary providers are given capitated payments based on the PCPs enrolled memberships. So things that fall into this category are going to be radiology or diagnostic imaging, physical therapy, or other services that are not truly covered by a, typically by a, a PCP. And lastly, global capitation models reimbursement that covers all services for a patient population. This fixed payment model allows providers to deliver patient care centered in areas that really lack primary care access, and these aren't as common right now. Now we're going to cover some of the advantages of capitated payments and then talk about some of the disadvantages. So it's important, again, look at your contract, look at what they're trying to do, look really have an understanding of what care costs for your patients so that you can get some understanding of okay what metrics am I going to have to follow you know does the cost that they are providing for reimbursement cover you know overall a mix of the patients that they're trying to provide coverage to under this capitated model so some of the advantages are that it ensures healthcare providers deliver necessary and quality care for better patient outcomes Now, one can say this, right? I I truly believe that all physicians and providers show up to work every day to do what's best for their patients. And so while I agree that that is an advantage, I just want to echo that I do think that all of us show up to provide good quality care. Um, Now, that may not be 100% sure, but I, I truly believe as someone who's taken the oath herself that that is what we all strive to do each and every day. And that does get harder with patient requests and Google and, you know, all the things out there that have patients coming in requesting certain things that may not be standard of care. And how do you balance, you know, patient satisfaction with standard of care? But the idea behind capitated payments, I'm going to get off my soapbox for a minute, is, again, really to just try and find that sweet spot, right? Between what is necessary, good, high-quality care, standard of care, And it's supposed to reduce the financial uncertainty or bookkeeping or overhead so that healthcare providers can focus on efficiency and cost control measures. Now, at the same time, we're all still having to, you know, get out there and document everything and everything's having to go in the EMR. You're still having to do the same level of administration, I believe, with capitated payments. Um, Also, it allows healthcare providers to focus on in-person services and preventative care programs. It puts an emphasis on that. Now some of the disadvantages of capitated payments are really going to be that it, you know, could potentially lead to cheaper pharmaceuticals and services instead of established name brands to cut cost, which may or not be the right thing to do. It may cause large enrollment of patients and subsequently longer wait times and shorter physician interaction for patients. And it could also result in low capitation rates in high population areas, depending on how those fee schedules are set. Now, the idea behind capitation models is to place this whole emphasis on waste cutting and eliminating inefficient care and processes that are contributing to healthcare spend. But I don't think it quite addresses the issue behind patients coming in, asking for things that maybe aren't standard care, then leaving bad reviews. Because at the end of the day, if if a physician or provider is incentivized to keep care, you know, very efficient, right, and keep costs down, but you've got patients coming in demanding, you know, respiratory viral panel every time they, you know, have a sniffle, then how do we balance that? Now, there are things like telehealth and remote patient monitoring solutions, which do have proven results and do have an ability to, you know, Cut costs and improve quality of care. But again, there is a significant amount of time that can be applicable when you're having to do that coordination of care. Now, if you're thinking about capitation payments for your practice, it is really understand, is really important to understand the full picture. You have to understand the data that the requirements that they're gonna hold you to, the care network options, the patient populations in your payer network for that capitation model. And there's still a lot of issues with fragmented systems, which continue to make up a lot of our healthcare systems. And so in my opinion, it does make capitation payment models more challenging because of that. Now, I do think we kind of hit a pause in terms of how many capitation models we were seeing, really because of the pandemic. And I suspect like others, have also said that after the COVID pandemic, we may see more of these start to crop up again. And so you're just going to really want to make sure that if these are coming across your desk and you are seeing these as a request that you are paying attention to, what is the goal that the capitation model is striving to do? Does it cover cost? Are the quality metrics reasonable? Can you Document those and really make sure that you are going to be able to get the full reimbursement that you are due. It's just really important to understand all of these things so that you're setting yourself up and your practice up for success. Now, as the industry continues to really emphasize value based care delivery, I do think that these may become more popular. So just keep an eye out again, you know, as you guys are going through your credentialing, which I know we talked about, you know, in the last few weeks. It's really key that you're keeping an eye on when those credentials are coming through. If you have any of those agreements that are saying, hey, I can um, make changes to them without notifying you or without you accepting, please you know, take a look at that and make sure that you understand that. That's really key. And again, there are some great credentialing partners out there. We don't personally do credentialing in-house, but we have multiple great credentialing partners that we rely on heavily. And I do believe that having a strong credentialing partner is really key. Again, if you are looking for a new credentialing partner, we're happy to recommend those that we have personally had clients use in the past. And as always, if you're looking for a new billing partner, you're not really quite sure how your metrics are going or what things look like, please shoot us an email, info at nationalrevenueconsulting.com. And we're happy to just take a look at your metrics, take a look at your process and really understand how we may be able to help get you guys in a really solid place so that you are ready to kick off the new year strong and ready to tackle any sort of insurance billing issues that you have.